So thank you. I'm excited about sharing the word today. Um, did a lot of study this week, and I appreciate the word of God so much because it doesn't matter how many years and some of you seniors and those foundational in the faith can attest to this, it doesn't matter how long you've studied this, you open it up and you have a conversation with the Holy Spirit and he shows you brand new things that you've never seen before. <laughs> and so I encourage you, read your Bible, read it, read it, read it, read it every day, put your phone down and pick up your Bible and read it because there's so much that will happen there's so much truth that happens. It just, like, it just comes alive. So I'm thankful for the word. Thank you, Jesus, for uh, giving me an opportunity to share your word today. And I pray that you would use my mouth and my words to um, speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, today I wanted to really just kind of talk about what's happening in Israel a little bit more and the war that's going on with Palestine and Gaza and Israel and give some clarity and maybe some historical context of where this came from. Why is this such an issue, right? And why is this so affecting the world? Countries, cities are turned upside down. Even yesterday at Crocker Park, my daughter and, and the kids were walking around. We heard somebody screaming. We're like, what? What is going on? You know, you don't expect somebody screaming at the top of their lungs. But there was a protest. And they were saying, Zionism is terrorism. Zionism is terrorism. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, we need clarity. We need truth. Because if we're not careful, we will get led astray, right? We'll get led astray. We'll be taken by the lies of the enemy. So I want to just give you some clarity and hopefully that the Holy Spirit will take over because it's bigger than just what's happening in the natural. Do you believe that? It's bigger than just what's happening in the natural. There's a spiritual battle going on. And here's the thing. You're fighting it too. I'm fighting it too. This spiritual battle is real in our lives every single day. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, so the growing support of the Palestines, I'm sure you've seen it. Um, we've, we've seen it that these, these protests are happening. There's a shift in the conversation from our government, right? There's a shift happening. And we can expect it. That's what's going to happen. There's going to be more and more persecution against the Jewish people, um, but we can, eat, we can understand the history of where this comes from. But while we, while we learn this, just remind yourself that we live in a world of propaganda, misleading the masses with biased information that promotes and publicizes a particular political narrative or worldview. Who is the prince in the power of the air? It's the enemy. It's the devil. So, of course, he's going to try to... Um, try to commandeer and control the atmosphere and the words that are going through the atmosphere. This is why we have to know this truth. This is why we have to be so solid. There's no excuse, right? Like seriously, there's no excuse. We should all be Bible scholars. Every single one of us, we have the time. We should be the ones to know the truth so that we won't be deceived. So to truly understand the historical animosity and the conflict between the Jewish people and the Arab nations, we have to go back to the truth of the Bible. And guess where we start? The book of Genesis. We're going all the way back to the beginning of the book of Genesis. We're going to discover three times in history where sin caused a mark in the lives of those affected. And we are all feeling the mark today. 
We are all feeling the sin today that happened in Genesis. And sin has consequences. You know, even now, we have the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus forgives us. He restores us. He redeems us. But we still have consequences. Sin has consequences. And we all are dealing with consequences of sin that happened way back in the book of Genesis. And how many of us know that Jesus is the only solution to sin's problems? That's it. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. He's the only one for the Jewish nation. It's Jesus. They don't know that yet. Jesus needs to solve their problems, right? Jesus needs to solve the Palestinians' problems. He is the one that solves sin's problems. And that's where we start today. Jesus. But in Genesis 17, 7 through 8, God is speaking to Abraham. And he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you, your descendants after you throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. That means in 2023, they are in covenant with God, right? Abraham and his descendants. says, and I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land where you live as a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And this is the amazing thing about the Bible. Every single word matters. Every single word. And we'll talk later in the, in the message that not one word falls. Not one word returns void. Every single word in these verses are important. So we look at, first of all, the first um, historical account. And he mentioned here the land of Canaan. We're going to talk about Canaan. Canaan was a person. He was the son of Ham. And if you remember the book um, of Genesis in the story of Noah, Ham is one of Noah's sons. And Ham had a son named Canaan. And those are the descendants that were occupying that land when Abraham was promised the land of Canaan. So you have the Horites, you have the Hivites, the Sidonians, the Amorites, and many more. I'm not going to try to list them. But you'll see a little map there I have on that. This is Israel. And you can always notice because there's the two little C's here. Israel's pretty much on this side. There's a little bit here. But this is Gaza right here. Same. It was there. That long ago, it's still there. And then the Philistines were in Gaza, but this is the land of the Canaanites. This was the sons of Canaan, who was the son of Ham, who was Noah's son, okay? But this is what happened to him. Um, They they were actually cursed by Noah in Genesis 9. And you can write these little chapters down because you can go back and study them if you want. But in Genesis 9, there's a story of Noah when he became a farmer and he was growing grapes and he produced wine. He got drunk. Sin, right? You're going to mess up when you let sin in your life, (laughs) right? So he, he, he gets messy. And, and he passes out naked in his tent. It's, it's, it's kind of PG-13, right? The Bible is PG-13. He passes out naked in his tent. And his son, Ham, he, he looks at him and he walks in and he sees him and he makes fun of him. And we don't know exactly what happened, but some sort of indiscretion. He talked about it with his brothers. And 
Noah woke up and found out what happened, and he put a curse not on Ham, but on his son. He put a curse on Canaan. And you will have some so-called theologians say, and this is so-called, it's such a lie, that this curse had to do with race. It had nothing to do with race. This curse was a curse that his brothers would serve. He would serve his brothers. And the descendants of Canaan would always be in strife and they would always be despised. And we see this all over the Old Testament that God forbid the nation of Israel to what? Intermarry with the Canaanites because of their wickedness, because of their idolatry, and because of the curse, right? We have to separate. You can't call, right, blessed or cursed what God calls blessed. So there's no intermingling there. And God made sure um, that his people did not marry the Canaanites. And how many times in the Old Testament do we see that they went against God's will and took wives from the Canaanites. In Genesis 24, 3, Abraham was about to die and he made his servant promise to get a wife for Isaac from back home. <laughs> he said, don't let my son marry a Canaanite. He didn't want the curse to be put on his grandchildren, right? So in Genesis 24, 3, he said, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. And later when Joshua, so, so that's one point with the Canaanites, right? They were idol worshipers, they were wicked, but they were also cursed. So there had to be a separation between them and the children of promise. Later, when Joshua led the nation of Israel out of the wilderness, this was after Abraham died, after his grandsons became a great nation in the land of Egypt. They were brought out. Right now, they had to take the promised land. Joshua made this declaration when he faced the people of Canaan, and he spoke about the animosity between the nations. In Joshua 7, 9, he said, For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear about it, and they will surround us and eliminate our name from the earth. Do we not see this exact thing happening today? And what will you do for your great name? So God is going to defend his name, his people, but there's an enemy that doesn't just want them to move over. He wants to eliminate them from the earth. And that's what we saw back in Germany, right? In the Holocaust years. It's going to happen again. They want to eliminate the entire nation of Israel. So this is not a new conflict. It's been going on for thousands of years and thousands of generations and is a result of the generational curse and sin of the Canaanites. Okay, that's one aspect of it. The second aspect of it is Ishmael. Anybody heard of Ishmael? We know who Ishmael is, right? Ishmael is Abraham's other son. Abraham had two sons. His first son was named Ishmael, and Ishmael was with Hagar. Hagar was Sarah's servant girl, and the reason why he had a child with Hagar is because Sarah was barren. And Sarah heard the promise. She knew the promise, but she was getting frustrated because she wasn't getting pregnant. 
And it was common back then to take your servant girl and have more babies through her because you could have more kids, right? That was their goal, is to have huge families. And so they would do this common, commonly. It was common practice. But as soon as she executed her plan, right, it went all wrong. In Genesis 16.5, And Sarah said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be upon you. She was mad. And it was her idea. And she was mad. No elbows, guys. I put my slave woman into your arms. But when she saw that she had conceived, I was insignificant in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. She knew she made a mistake. She knew that that was not going to be the son of the promise. As soon as she did it, as soon as she got pregnant, there was strife. In Genesis 16, 5, that word wrong, may the wrong be done. That word actually is Hamas. That word is translated Hamas. It means violence. The violence already when, when Ishmael was, was still in the womb of Hagar. There was violence. And Hagar ran away. But God said, go back because I'm going to give you a promise to. Go back because Abraham is the one that I'm, prom- that I'm, I'm filling the earth with his, his kids and, and Ishmael is going to be his too. So your son will have a promise and he will too become a great nation. And later we see 12 princes come from Ishmael and, and establishes the many nations we now know as the Arab Muslim nations. And specifically, we see that historically they settled in the area of Saudi Arabia. I thought that would be interesting to you, Adrian, that most of Ishmael's descendants settled into Saudi Arabia. Ishmael represents the unbelief that we have in our hearts, right, towards God's promise. You know, we, we'll talk about it later. We take so lightly our own unbelief. But man, can we make a mess when we try to help God out, when we try to make it work, right? I'm just going to make this happen. And we can make a mess that will last for generations and generations. Our flesh creates violence towards the promise and the work of God in our life. Sarah's flesh created violence that the nation of Israel, even now, is dealing with. It was her unbelief. So we'll talk more about this later. But Esau and Edom is the last bit of um, history that I want to look at that we can see now causing problems for the nation of Israel. Esau, some of you know, is the twin of Jacob, and they are Isaac's and Rebekah's sons. And the story of Isaac and Um, Esau and Jacob is found in Genesis 25, 22 through 23. And Rebecca was just pregnant with these twins. And Christina walked out because she knows how it feels to be pregnant with twins. (laughs) And Mila and Tommy are here today, and I'm so glad that they came. Usually they go to Cleveland campus. But Mila is so much smaller than Tommy, if you haven't noticed that. And and Mila, while she was pregnant with Mila and Tommy, Mila had the, the top 
left corner of her womb and she was stuck up here (laughs) and she couldn't move (laughs) and Tommy had the rest of the space, right? And so there was like a struggle between them and I'm sure it happens a lot. But here in this, in Rebecca's womb, it was violent. And she said, but the children inside her struggled with each other. And she said, why is this happening to me? She knew it wasn't normal. She said, what is going on, right? And so she went to inquire of the Lord and he gave her a word. He said, two nations are in your womb. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So civil war was in Rebecca's womb that early. That early on, God began to reveal what would happen in 2023, right? Throughout throughout history. These twins couldn't be more different. And again, great example with Tommy and Mila. Everywhere we go, they're like, huh? They're twins? Because they couldn't be more different, right? Girls, boys, blonde, dark hair. (laughs) Um, But in verse 23, God's declaration over them, right, said that they would be way different in personality and in destiny. It seems like God sets up Esau, right, for the raw end of the stick. Anybody ever feel bad for Esau? I've felt bad for Esau before, right? Just a little bit. You're like, man, he just, he got his birthright taken from him. He's got his blessing stolen from him. But God is sovereign, isn't he? He knew what Esau would do. He knew Esau's heart. And that's the thing. He knew before it would happen. And he chose Jacob. He chose Jacob. When God chooses you, wow, there's nothing anybody can do. Two things happened, the birthright and the blessing. It says in the Bible that Esau despised his birthright, and he sold it for a bowl of soup. He was hungry. He was out, he was out um, hunting, and he came back home, and he said, I'm hungry. Give me some food. And Jacob, being very um, deceiving, that's what his name means, <laughs> he was. He said, okay, I'll give you some soup, but I want your birthright. And Jacob could have said no. That was a high cost for a bowl of soup, right? He could have went and cooked the food he had brought in. He could have not been lazy and not been prideful and not been so focused on the things of the world and his own stomach, right, that he sold what was the most important thing. And isn't that like us, that we will just sell out what we've been given by Jesus, for the temporary pleasures of the world. We all do it. We all do it. And we have to realize that we cannot give up our birthright. Esau also means accomplish. So he felt like he could get done whatever he needed to get done, right? He didn't need his dad's inheritance. I can make this work for myself. He had some pride. He had some ego issues, And God saw this. God knew that this was going to be an issue for Esau. Also, the second thing was is that Esau married Canaanite women. Now, we just learned that Canaanites were cursed. And when Esau wanted the blessing, right, from his dad, 
Right before that, if you look at the account in Genesis, I think it was Genesis 26 and 34, it talks about how he married two Canaanite women. And his mom and dad's heart were broken. Because what did that do? That brought a curse into their family line. Our decisions matter, right? And so he forfeited the blessing. I mean, we give Jacob all the credit, and we give Rebecca all the credit for deceiving. But God... God knew, right, what was happening. He knew that he couldn't bless the descendants of Esau when they were married into the line of Canaan. So Esau wanted to do what he wanted to do and how he wanted to do it. He had no regard with his parents nor God's wishes to not marry into the curse and worship other gods. And I believe this is why he lost the blessing. And Rebecca helped Jacob steal the blessing by deceiving Isaac that Jacob was actually Esau. And you know the story. But what happens through all this? We see an even greater separation between the nations because Jacob then, Rebecca said, you can't let Jacob marry a Canaanite. We have to preserve this family line. You have to send him away so that he can get married to a woman of promise, right? So she sent him to Laban, remember? And Jacob had to work for Rachel and Leah. And it was probably God's design that he was there for so long so Esau wouldn't kill him because Esau was so mad he wanted to kill his brother, right? So after Esau sees all of this, it's really interesting He said, I want to at least win my dad's love back, my dad's approval back, my dad's admiration back. And he said, I'm going to go find one more wife of Abraham's seed. And he goes and he finds the daughter of Ishmael. You see that? See how we see these lines happening in the generations? And we can see why. Now Esau just doubled down, right? He doubled down on the strife and the conflict between the Arab nations and the nation of Israel. And Esau, actually, his name, uh, other name is called Edom, because Edom means red. And there was a couple different reasons. They said he had a red complexion. And he was also, I mean, Something about red beans. I'm not sure. But anyways, so they're called the Edomites. (laughs) They're called the Edomites. And they become a rival nation of Israel throughout history who settled in the southeast corner of the present-day nation of Israel. But this is what happened to the Edomites because they're pretty much not around anymore. If you've ever read Obadiah, it's a little tiny chapter in the book of of the Old Testament. It's one, one chapter but it prophesies the demise of the Edomites. And this is really, really interesting, guys. The Edomites refused to help Judah when the enemy nations were coming against him. And the Edomites were wiped off the face of the earth because of their refusal to help their brother Judah. Now, just let the Holy Spirit speak to you about that and the nation of America. So we see this complex historical lineage of both the nation of Israel and the nation of Ishmael. And to this day, there's tension and fighting one another with the whole world getting involved. But we see this in the natural realm, and we we also see it in the spiritual realm. Now we're going to move to the New Testament. We're going to move to the New Covenant because we're dealing with the same thing. And Paul lays this out for us in 
Galatians 4 and 5. And you can read that later. We're going to read a couple verses, but it's really the whole two chapters of Galatians 4 and 5. So we're going to look at Galatians 4, 22 and 23. And Paul is teaching the Gentile nations how this applies to them. He's teaching them. And so he could just walk in this room right now and teach us, because we're Gentiles, this applies to us. And it says in the Bible, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, who was Hagar, and one by the free woman, who was Sarah. But the son of the slave woman was born, what? According to the flesh. And the son of the free woman through the promise or the spirit. Galatians 4, 28 and 29, a little bit further down. This is us, church. And you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. And why? Because of Jesus and only Jesus, right? But at that time, the son who was born according to the flesh persecuted the one who was born according to the spirit. So it is even now. There is a son of the flesh persecuting your spirit. Right now, today, it happens all the time, right? To me, I know it happens. That son of the flesh comes and persecutes my spirit the Holy Spirit living and breathing inside of me. Paul is warning us that our flesh will mess things up for us. Our flesh is at war with the Spirit. And right now, this war is real in the natural. I'm on Telegram every night because it's, it's morning time there when I'm going to bed. <laughs> so I'm watching to see what's happening, right? How many bombs are going? They're, they've destroyed the northern part of Gaza. And the ceasefire ended. Why? Not because of Israel. Because rockets were thrown in from Gaza again. They still have hostages. There's still little babies missing, being held, right? There's not an end to this because they're not allowing an end to this. And right now, the same thing. There is a war that's real in the natural, and it is oh so real in the spiritual. We in here right now are at war. With who? The enemy, of course. There's a real devil. And what does he want to do? He wants to kill, steal, and destroy your life. But too many of us are out here trying to wage war on a devil who isn't even around. I said it. The devil is not omnipresent. He's not like God. He can't be in my house and Pastor Sue's house and Aunt Pat's house and Christine. He can't be that. Now, he has demons, and oh, yes, they are very active, and they will go after you, and they will attach, and they will torment you, right? And there is deliverance for that. But after deliverance, there is your own flesh. There is your own flesh. It is destructive. It's a force in our lives, and we don't even know it. We don't even know it, that we're dealing with this flesh. And Paul continues to warn the Galatians. He says in, in chapter 5, he said, For the desire of the flesh is against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. We want to serve the Lord. 
We want to walk in our destiny. We want to be bold for him, right? We want to be holy. But every day when we wake up, our flesh wakes up. And it wages war against our spirit. And none of us can get away from that war. Not until we get to heaven. But we are well prepared. (laughs) We are well prepared to fight this fight. We have the living God, the spirit of the living God living and breathing inside of us. When we think about the Old Testament, when we think about the great prophets of old, when we think about the miracles, Jonah and and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and all these people, they didn't have what we have. They didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit living and breathing inside of us. We have no excuse. They didn't have this either. We have no excuse. But the battle we all experience every day, our flesh in opposition to us living in the spirit. So this morning, I want to address the three origins of the flesh. And I have a few more minutes. I'm going to go fast. But these types of flesh are against your spirit today and every day. And if we're aware of it, we can fight the good fight. We can take the armor right, that God gives us, and we can wage war against. The first one is family flesh. That's what I'm calling it. It's family flesh. And we're going to look back at Canaan's curse, right? We discovered the story that Noah cursed his grandson because of what his father did. And this sounds way too familiar, right? Dysfunctional families. We all have one. (laughs) Every single one of us. And if you think mine isn't, let me tell you. (laughs) But it goes something like this. My grandfather abused my dad. My dad abused me. And now I'm abusing my kids. Or so the story goes. Or maybe it's not so obvious. My grandmother lived in a spirit of poverty, not worthy, not willing to work hard, carried debt, right? My mom did the same, and now I'm struggling to pay my bills. It doesn't have to be severe abuse. It can be the lies and tricks of the enemy that he doesn't even have to work on anymore. Why? Because it's family flesh. It's family flesh, and we carry it around because it's our family. It's how I grew up. It's what I learned. It's what I understood. It's what's normal for me. It's actually default in my life. And God says, you have to kill that flesh. You have to get rid of that flesh, Just because you've received salvation doesn't mean this family flesh doesn't wake up with you. And if we're not careful, we wake up the son of the slave woman and not the son of promise. And we have to be so purposeful in the morning to say, no, I'm not waking up like this. Even if it's what happens naturally default, I'm not going to wake up feeling unworthy, feeling not prepared, feeling not good enough. No, I'm going to wake up as the son of the promise or the daughter of the promise who God called me worthy because of Jesus. And we have to purpose to do that. The problem with church and the gospel that of salvation that we preach is we just want to make it to the rapture, right? Just make it to the rapture. Just make it to heaven, <laughs> We want to save you from hell, and of course we want to save you from hell. But a full gospel (laughs) is that Jesus doesn't want you to live a slave. He wants you to live 
free. You are no longer a son of Canaan. Remember Canaan's curse that he would serve his brothers. He would be a slave. And Jesus said, you're not under the curse anymore. Jesus broke the generational curse in your life and in your family, and you are free. In Galatians 3.13, and this is one of those verses that if you have to wake it up every morning and read it on your mirror, this is what you need to do. Put it everywhere until you get it, until you memorize it. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. Jesus broke the curse for your family. Don't you dare pick that up. Don't you dare pick that up and say, well, this feels good. It feels normal. It feels natural. No, that's not your curse anymore. Jesus paid for it. And we have to apply this truth to our life every morning. I'm no longer from a cursed lineage of sin. I am in the new family of Jesus. Did you know you have a new family? You can still love your old family, but you have a new family. <laughs> In John 1.12, it says, but as many as received him, who is him? It's Jesus. If you've received Jesus, he gave you the right to become children of God. To those who believe in my name. It's good news, not only to the Gentile church, but guess what? This is news to the Jewish people. This is news to the Palestinian people. Hey, you can, get, you can get rid of that curse. You don't have to be fighting, right? You don't, have to, you don't have to be at war. You can live in Jesus, in the new family of Jesus. So we are no longer children of Canaan. We are children of God. The second one is unbelieving flesh. Unbelieving flesh. Sarah's unbelief produced Ishmael. And now Ishmael is a problem. Our unbelief will do the same thing. It will produce sin in our life. It will produce that which God has never intended for us to go through in our life. This was completely avoidable, but Sarah didn't trust God's word. She thought she could help him out, right? By exerting her own will, her own ideas, her own thoughts. And we all do this. Well, God, maybe you meant this way. You know, we're not patient enough to let him do it his way. We want to help him out. We want to say, I know how this should go. And we get our ego pumped up and we start moving in our own power, in our own ways. We want our own way when we want it, but it always gets us in trouble. But the thing is, with someone who always has done this in their life, I believe that we don't know how to go to God in relationship. Sarah didn't, you never see in the Bible, Sarah's own personal relationship with the Lord. She never went to God and said, this is hard. This is hard being barren. This is hard waiting on the promise. But we see David, David knew this kind of relationship with the Lord where he said, it's hard to wait for you. You promised I would be king, but the king is trying to kill me, (laughs) right? He had a waiting time. And we often have a waiting time for the promises of God to be manifested in our life. But David said, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him because his word will be accomplished. In Isaiah 55, 11, it says, so my word, which goes from my mouth, 
I will not return. It will not return to me empty, but without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. So we have to know that if God gave you a word, if he confirmed it with his word, if it's a promise in your heart and you know it's from the Lord, it will come to pass. Hold on. Don't be a Sarah. Don't create something counterfeit because that's just going to get messy in your life. This unbelieving flesh is dangerous. God takes our unbelief personally. Think about that. He gave his son he takes our unbelief personally. It says in the Bible that Jesus is the word of God made flesh. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. In John 1.14 it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And when we operate in our unbelieving flesh, we reject his word over our lives. We are rejecting Jesus. Our unbelief rejects Jesus because he's the word of God. Whatever we do, we have to get rid of the unbelieving flesh and believe that Jesus is the word made manifest in our life. The third thing that we have to get rid of is rebellious flesh. Rebellious flesh. We're going to look at Esau again. He thought he was too good for the birthright. He despised the blessing. You know, he was strong-willed. He was rough. He was a get-it-done manly man who hunted and liked to be outdoors. Adrian kind of liked Esau. I said, you can't like Esau. (laughs) You can't like Esau. He had a lot of great qualities, but he thought he was too good. He thought he could do it on his own. He rebelled against what God had commanded. He rebelled against the provision and the birthright that God had supplied for him. He despised it, it says. He said he doesn't need it. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. The flesh craves what is contrary to the spirit. And we have to remember that. We have to be on guard. Our flesh is going to crave the world. Our flesh is going to come up like you're, it's going to, pride is going to come from nowhere. (laughs) I know it happens to me all the time. I'm like, oh, I'm humble, I'm humble. Whoa, how did, what happened? How did I get prideful that quickly, right? It's the flesh, it craves that. We're in, our flesh rebels against God. Are we choosing the satisfaction of our flesh and rebelling against what God asks of us? We are to be separate. And this hyper-grace culture has created a lot of rebellious flesh Christians who live regularly in sin. But here's the sad part. They're cheated out of their identity and the blessing that Jesus paid for. We can't let that flesh live and plus want the blessing. We can't have both. In Galatians 5.19, again, it's in that, those two chapters are fire right now. Okay, Galatians 5, 19 through 21, Paul is saying, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are homosexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostilities, and then all the ones that we deal with here. Strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are destructive 
behaviors. And if we allow our flesh to engage in these destructive behaviors, we will lose out on what the Spirit has for us. We must be careful not to get an Esau attitude. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. No, it's a big deal. I can get angry and yell, oh no, whatever, I slipped up a few times. God forgives me. I will get the recognition and position I deserve. This is all like Esau. These are the things Esau was talking, was, was acting like, taking lightly the benefits and the responsibilities of our birthright. Jesus called us the firstborn with him. We're seated with him. Our flesh should not be engaging in these rebellious activities, right? Paul admonished the Galatians, and he does so with us this morning. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We have to crucify our flesh every single day. Crucifying the flesh looks like, and the commentator, I loved this um, description of it. It says, putting the old self to death by submitting all decisions, all desires to the Lord. This utterly and decisively rejects the decision to live independently from him every single day. That's how we crucify the flesh. And Paul, you know that he even had problems with this. He was an apostle. He wrote letters and spread the gospel. And he even said in Romans, for the good that I want, (laughs) I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I don't want to do. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin dwells in me. He knew that he could not go a day without crucifying the flesh. Because the truth is, is that we can't coexist with our flesh. The flesh doesn't play nice. Remember, the flesh wants your complete annihilation in the spirit. He wants the whole space. He's not going to just take an hour. He wants your whole day. The flesh will not give up. It wants your life. Remember Genesis 5, 17, flesh and spirit, their opposition. They will not coexist. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians said, I die daily. Paul said, every day I wake up and die <laughs> to my flesh because it will try to take over. In Galatians 2, 20, this is a good scripture to memorize. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That scripture is one to memorize because our flesh needs to hear those words come out of our mouth. Amen? Our flesh has to hear it out loud. We have a new life in the Spirit. And so I normally don't give homework, but I wrote it down here and I made a typo. It says homeward. I'm like, that's good. Homeward. This is your homeward for this week. Everybody read Romans 8 every single day. Just read that chapter, Romans 8, every single day. Remind yourself what a life in the Spirit looks like. So I ask you to stand up with me right now. And I'm going to start the chapter off, just one through four. And I want to just speak it over you this morning. Because our flesh is going to die and our spirit is going to be made alive 
in Christ Jesus. Amen? So if you could just close your eyes and maybe just position yourself. You can lift your hands up or just quietly stand there. But I want to speak this word over you. Because a word like this can kind of bring condemnation. And I don't want you to feel condemned. Because you can't kill your flesh by yourself. You know, you, you do apply the God, God's word to your life. But it's a supernatural work. Jesus is the one who does it. He's the one, right? So I'm going to speak this over you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The good news is this morning that Jesus won this war and we have new life. We are no longer bound to the power of sin and death and you no longer walk according to your flesh but according to his spirit. So Father, this morning, I ask you, Jesus, to come into this room right now, into our hearts and remind us that we are the son of the free woman. We are not bound by the law. We're not bound by sin. But we are free because of what you did on the cross for us. I pray, Jesus, that you would show us how to wake up every day and win the battle for the day. The battle of walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. I thank you, Father, that you're teaching us more and more and more of what that looks like in our life. And we come against the family flesh. We come against the unbelieving flesh. And we come against that rebellious flesh that tries to come up and take over our days. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, I want to open up the altars this morning if you want prayer for any specific thing. Or if maybe you need to rededicate your life to Jesus. You can do that today. Do that before you leave. It's a good day, right, to get right with God. It's always a good day to get right with God. And I do want to say, let's continue to pray for the people in the middle of that mess, right? The people that Jesus died for on both sides. Jesus died for. And they need the truth of the gospel that Jesus is the Messiah. Amen? So live right, love everybody, and pray hard. And if you need prayer, come this way before you go that way.